What's up, coaches? It's Monday, which means you are tuned into a brand new episode of Keep Your Pads Down, where we are a podcast created for everyone who loves the defensive line. And this is episode number 81, the Tim Brown episode, I guess you could say, who is, of course, the Hall of Fame receiver from Dallas, uh, played at Notre Dame and then later for the Raiders and wore the number 81. I didn't want to say Terrell Owens episode because then I thought this whole thing would implode, kind of like what he did with the Cowboys. So uh, anyway, we got a great episode lined up for you today, and we are talking with a Division II D-line coach from a premier program on that level. But before we get to that, you know, in last week's episode, we talked coaching cues and the importance of having a library of sorts of short, succinct coaching cues that you can say to your players to convey as much information to them as possible as efficiently as possible. And, you know, things like, hey, 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 hands, or eyes inside, or Russian edge. You know, those are all things that I yell probably on a daily basis. Uh, I know I yelled a couple of those Friday night. Uh, but anyway, earlier this past week, I threw the question out to you guys, which was, you know, what are your favorite or most used coaching cues? And as always, you guys didn't disappoint. So I'll read off some of my favorites that I got from you guys, either from Twitter or that you sent, us, sent to us through email. So Here you go. Coaching cues from our listeners. First one comes from Coach Pat Mason. Uh, He's uh, on Twitter at TheCoachMason. He's a D-line coach at Terrell High School here in Texas, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Coach Mason, but I think that's the home of Jamie Foxx, Terrell, Texas. Anyway, this is one. uh, His his coach cue cracked me up. I thought it was creative, plus it rhymes. Uh, Bonus points for that, but here it is. Violent hands and active feet will put O-linemen on their seat. I love that. You know his kids are going to remember that. Uh, and like, kind of like what we talked about last week, I think it's really important You know, if you can have a coaching cue or saying or phrase that rhymes or that, that's just catchy, and, and that one fits, uh, that one checks both the boxes there. So I really like that. Good stuff, uh, Coach Mason. Next coaching cue is from Coach Tyler Cade. Uh, he's on Twitter, at TCade. He's a D-line coach at Dale City High School in Oklahoma and a former guest on this podcast. Uh, coach Cade's coaching cue is this. Keep your eyes below his eyes, which is another way of saying, keep your pads down. Love it, Coach Cade. Uh, That's a great episode, Coach Cade. You need to go back and check that one out. That one was earlier uh, this year, right before the COVID stuff hit. So uh, So go check out Coach Tyler Cade's episode. Thank you for the coaching cue, Coach Cade. Our final coaching cue sent to us by email from my man, Coach Tino Acosta, out there at Iowa Park High School here in Texas. It goes like this. Spill it and kill it. Ooh, I like that one. Great stuff there, Coach Acosta. Thank you for sending that to us. Anyway, I love getting interaction from you guys because you know most of you guys know a whole lot more than me and, and are much more creative than I am. So love getting those coaching cues. Thank you to everyone who responded with those. Okay, uh, let's get to our guest for today's episode. Today, we're talking with Henderson State defensive line coach Raleigh Jackson. Now, Coach Jackson uh, is currently at Henderson State as a D-line coach, as I mentioned already. But before coming to Henderson, Coach Jackson was Arkansas Tech's defensive coordinator for both the 2017-2018 seasons and helped lead the Wonder Boys to an 8-4 record in 2017. During his second stint in Russellville, Arkansas, he coached five All-Great American Conference selections and two All-Americans. In 2016, Coach Jackson accepted the defensive coordinator position at Delta State University where he spent one season in Cleveland, Mississippi. And before that, Coach Jackson had his first stint at Arkansas Tech, where he was the Wonder Boys linebackers coach in 2013 and co-defensive coordinator in 14 and and 15. Uh, In the final year of his first stop at Arkansas Tech, the Wonder Boys finished 9-3 and won the Champs Heart of Texas Bowl. 
I coached Jackson Smith in 2012 season, coaching at Slippery Rock University, where he coached the linebackers. And before his venture into Division II, Coach Smith the 2011 season at his alma mater, the Citadel, where he worked on both sides of the ball as outside linebackers coach and tight ends coach. During his one season in Charleston, South Carolina, Coach Jackson helped the Bulldogs rank fourth in all of FCS and rushing yards per game. Coach Jackson's first college coaching position came at Missouri Southern State, where he coached defensive line, linebackers, and took on recruiting coordinator responsibilities from 2008 to 2010. During his time with the Lions, Coach Jackson coached three All-Americans, including Baltimore Ravens draftee Brandon Williams, who is still starting for the Ravens, and he helped Missouri Southern lead the MIAA in total defense, rush defense, and sacks in 2010. Coach got his first coaching opportunity of his career as the defensive ends coach at Goose Creek High School in Goose Creek, South Carolina. And in his 13 years as an assistant, Coach has mentored seven All-Americans and participated in the postseason three times. Prior to his coaching career, Coach, who hails from Orangeburg, South Carolina, was a four-year letterman from 2003 to 2006 at the Citadel, where he started 17 career games at inside and outside linebacker. You know, now, now one underrated stat from Coach Jackson's bio there that, that I just read off to you that, that I can't believe we didn't get into in our, in our, in our interview was these mascots uh, of these schools where he's coached. You know, but besides the Citadel, uh, where, which is the Bulldogs, and Missouri Southern, which, which is the Lions, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find more unique mascots than Slippery Rock, which is simply the Rock. Uh, you got Arkansas Tech, which is the Wonder Boys, and then you got the Statesmen of Delta State, or you know the more uh, unusual, unofficial mascot there, the Fighting Okra, which is really the better of the two mascots, if we're being honest. And then finally, you know the Reddies of Henderson State. So a ton of great mascots there that I wanted to bring your attention before we got going today, because you know I didn't bring it up in our interview, and I and I definitely should have. But anyway, loved getting to talk with Coach Jackson today, and excited for you to hear what he has to say. So let's get to it. Here is episode number 81 with Coach Raleigh Jackson on KYPD. Excited to be chopping it up today with Henderson State defensive line coach Raleigh Jackson. Coach Jackson, Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you letting me uh, get on this uh, platform with you, man. Thank you. Absolutely, Coach. As we mentioned, you're currently the uh, defensive line coach there at Henderson State in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, Division II school there in the Great American Conference, a conference that you know, you're very familiar with. But before we get into all that, let's, let's talk about your background. South Carolina native, uh, just, just fill us in on your journey through the game of football up to this point. I'm originally from uh, Orangeburg, South Carolina, a small town. We're probably uh, about uh, the halfway point between Columbia and Charleston, which is probably where most people uh, know about in the state of South Carolina. But uh, graduated from Orangeburg Wilkinson High School um, and uh, went on and played uh, linebacker at the Citadel. Uh, was blessed to be around some really good coaches. Uh, Ellis Johnson was one of my uh, head coaches, and uh, he has been the defense coordinator at the University of South Carolina at Auburn. Uh, you know, was a um, influence for me. A guy named Maurice Drayton was also an influence for me during that time. Uh, he is now the assistant special teams coordinator uh, for the Green Bay Packers, and so both of those guys. Uh, had a huge um, influence on me, as well as my dad. Uh, my dad 
has been uh, coaching high school football for about 36 years now. And uh, so being able to grow up on the sidelines and, uh, and learn about the game that he, when he would bring tape home was, was awesome for me. And so I, I don't know if I have much of a choice other than to get into, uh, you know, uh, coaching, but um, left, uh, left the Citadel, uh, went to a high school, Goose Creek high school, uh, was coached by uh, a guy named Chuck Reedy and uh, became the defensive ends coach there for a year. It was a great experience, one of the more fun experiences I've, I've had to this point in my coaching career. Um, after that, uh, was able to jump into the uh, college football coaching arena and went to Missouri Southern State. I went to Missouri Southern State. I landed there in 2008 and stayed there until 2010. And during that time, I coached linebackers as well as defensive line um, during that time. After uh, that stint at Missouri Southern State in Joplin, Missouri, went to the Citadel, back to the alma mater, and actually coached the tight ends and the offensive tackles for a year. This was in 2011. Uh, left the Citadel and went to Slippery Rock University in 2012 um, and coached the linebackers. Was uh, The head coach there was a guy named uh, Dr. George Mahalik. He's uh one of my more favorite people in the whole entire world. He's a great guy. Uh, left Slippery Rock and went to Arkansas Tech University. It was my first time in the state of Arkansas. And uh, coached the linebackers there for a year. Uh, was promoted to co-defensive coordinator and did that in 2014 and 15. In 2016, left uh, Arkansas Tech and went and became the defense coordinator at Delta State University. Um, left Delta State after a year, was coached there by Ty Cooley, and uh, went back to Arkansas Tech for uh, two more years, where I was also where I was still the coordinator and coached the linebackers. And uh, so that was in 2017 and 18, and after 2017 and 18 years, uh, got down here to uh, Henderson State, where I'm the defensive line coach. I want to go back and, and talk about your dad a little bit. He sort of pushed you into coaching, or did he? Did you know? Did you just did you just want to get into it after watching him and being around him? He he definitely didn't push me into coaching. He was a high school football coach, and uh, you know we moved around a lot because there was a you know a, a high school head coaching job here, and there was a high school co- head coaching job there, and so I just I think being in all those different uh, places and 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 seeing the different atmospheres and just really enjoying the players that I got to meet. Uh, throughout his time as a coach and then you know just remembering him bringing home film you know at night and and sitting there watching it thinking I knew what I was watching but I actually really didn't you know and and being able to be a ball boy and you know being able to be down on the sideline and be in the huddles during timeouts I just think that stuff just got ingrained in me man and uh you know I really uh, developed a, a a really appreciation for the players, um, and I developed a, also a, a, an appreciation for the X's and O's. Who were some other guys besides your dad that that influenced you? Uh, you know, as you as you're growing up and coming up through the game of football. Like I said, this guy named Ellis Johnson. He was my first high school. Uh, excuse me. He was my first college head coach at the Citadel. Uh, left after a year, but uh, you know, I think he really had an impact on me. Like I said, after he left. 
he went and became the defensive coordinator for Sylvester Croom at Missouri at Mississippi State, excuse me. And, uh, you know, I thought that was awesome for him to be able to go into the SEC and also, you know, be a, a coordinator for the uh, first black coach that ever had the opportunity to coach in the uh, SEC. Um, a guy named Maurice Drayton, who actually personally recruited me, uh, he and I have kept a great relationship over the years. Um, and he's, you know, bounced around a bunch and been at this college and that college. And, and you know, now he is uh, – He's the special assistant special teams coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. And so I just think the relationship that I have with those two guys, you know, there's a guy named Sean Lutz, who's the head coach at the Slippery Rock University, who's an awesome guy who got a great relationship with him. He had been the offensive coordinator for Clemson. He had been the offensive co- coordinator for the University of South Carolina. Just awesome guy, very confident, um, great teacher. Uh, so guys like that are, are guys who have definitely uh, influenced me uh, to this point. What were some, as you, you know, looking back on your coaching career up to this point, discuss you know, just some highlights that, that you've experienced uh, from your time as a coach. My first year coaching, which was at Goose Creek, I was actually in my, I was still in the process of trying to graduate from the Citadel. And so uh, I would go to school in the morning drive over to Goose Creek in the afternoon, coach the defensive ends, and then go home and do homework at night. And I didn't make a red penny. You know, they didn't pay me at all. Yeah. But I loved it. And like I said, it's been one of my more favorite experiences that I look back on. Uh, just I had a ton of fun. Uh, we won a lot of games. Uh, and, and so I really enjoyed that experience. Uh, when I was at Missouri Southern State University, I had the, uh, the wonderful privilege to coach a young man by the name of Brandon Williams, uh, who is actually still in the NFL, starting uh, nose guard for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, just an unbelievable young man. Uh, one of the more gifted, physically human beings I've ever come across. Um, and, and to see his longevity and to see his work ethic, you know, that's been awesome. Um, you know, had the opportunity to become a coordinator at a relatively young age. I think I was 29 at the time. And, you know, it's one of those things that if I knew now what I knew then, you know, how much different would I have uh, approached that. But I just went into it full head steam. And, uh, you know, we had some success. We had some really good players that played their uh, butts off for us and uh, just really enjoyed that time at Arkansas Tech and uh, as well as at Delta State, you know. We had some good players there as well. And then um, having the opportunity to go back to Arkansas Tech and being embraced by the guys that I had there, you know, we had some success and we had some really good players. Um, you know, I would say those are definitely some of the, the highlights that I've had. We've gone to, you know, I've been able to coach in uh, three different postseason bowl games. Um, I've had, you know, several guys that make all conference. I've had, you know, quite a few guys that have, you know, garnered All-American uh, accolades. And so all of those things are uh, professionally, you know, satisfying. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I love the story about, you know, uh, going to school to finish your degree and, and, and volunteer coaching at, you know, at the high school. And, and I think that, you know, that's just part of paying your dues and, and, and cutting your teeth as a coach. I think we all have to go through that at some point. And, and, and now, we, you know, you can appreciate 
being on the other side of things. You're a veteran of, of, of coaching Division II football, which can sometimes mean that, that the recruiting stories can get a little strange and be a little unusual. And so, I, you know, looking back on your time recruiting on the Division II level, what's your most unusual or interesting recruiting story that you can share with us? I would just say, you know, it's the, it's the people that you meet. When I was at Missouri Southern State, uh, I had no clue that actually that Rod Smith, you know, the great Denver Broncos uh, yeah. wide out, had actually played at Missouri Southern State and was actually the quarterback there. And so having the opportunity to meet him, you know, during the uh, during the recruiting process, you know, he was an alum and, yeah. you know, he wasn't necessarily hands-on recruiting, but he was just, you know, around and, yeah. and helping fund days. I think that that was pretty cool. You know, just going to the different places that you get to go. You know, a kid from South Carolina got to fly all the way to Los Angeles and recruit recruit junior colleges in uh, in California. You know, um, being in the back roads of Kansas, you know, recruiting junior colleges there. You know, being down in uh, East Texas and and uh, Mississippi and junior colleges there. You know, uh, I just think those are memories and. You know, the, the stories there, I think, are, are, are pretty uh, fascinating for just a, a kid from South Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, Rod Smith from here in, uh, in, in Texarkana, Texarkana, Arkansas, anyway. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's I, I got to imagine that it's just a challenge when you're when you're going through these different states, you know, because like the policies for, you know, high schools and, and just it, everything just works differently. Right. Like, some places and some states, it's easy to get access to the kids and, you know, a prospect list and some some places, you know, good luck. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure that's all part of a challenge too, just navigating that as well. You know, I've been so blessed with the high school football coaches that I've come across in, in my career. You know, I've not ever felt like I've been big time. You know, that that's a word that, you know, coaches like to use when they when they deal with, you know, high school coaches. I've not ever felt like that, man. I've I've had some great relationships with high school coaches from Oklahoma to Florida to South Carolina um, and, and all the way back. And so, you know, it's just been awesome, man. I've always had access to transcripts and, you know, to be able to see the, the young men whenever it's, you know, an admissible time to do so. And, you know, I like I really like the places where you can just drive to the back and go to the field house. That's my favorite. But, you know, even when I've gone to the front office and checked in and put a sticker on my chest that said visitor, you know, I've always felt welcomed by the, by the, uh, the secretaries and the administrative assistants. And so I've just had some, you know, some really good experiences, uh, you know, as far as the recruiting, I, I don't have any horror stories, you know, as far as that's concerned. I, w- I want to ask you this question just out of personal curiosity, because, um, you know, I'm the recruiting coordinator at my place and, and that recruit that, that role of recruiting coordinator on the high school level has become a more popular uh, position for coaches to have. You know, it seems like more and more uh, high school coaching staffs have that guy who's kind of in charge of that. You know, when you're when you're coming to a place to re- recruit a kid, like what makes your job easier? What can coaching staffs there do to make your job easier when you're trying to recruit their kids? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that job that you have, uh, Ty, I think that's a really important job. I think it's one of the more critical jobs that, you know, that they have, that there are on the uh, high school level. Um, because you're basically, you know, the, the gateway to the young man and then also to the head football coach. And so, you know, there's some places where, 
you may only deal with the recruiting coordinator because the head coach may be the athletic director or, you know, he ha- may have some other responsibilities that, you know, don't allow him to be as available. Um, I would say, man, the, the best thing is just to have the information, the forthright information, you know, um, you know, having the accessibility to a, you know, to an unofficial transcript, you know, being able to actually see the ACT instead of hearing the coach say, oh, I think he made 18 or 19. You know what I mean? Just yeah. actually having those uh, those hard documents, that really makes our life easy because we've ultimately got somebody to report back to. You know, when, when our head coach, you know, watches a kid on film and he says, I like him, tell me about his grades. I don't want to be hemming and hawing. I want to say, hey, coach, he's got this overall. He's got this core, and he made this on the ACT, and he's signed up to take it again whenever, whenever. So I just think having those hard documents, man, and, you know, being forthright, because if you tell me, you know, a kid is six one, and, you know, I'm going to find out if he's 5'11", you know what I mean? And so it's yeah. just, just – you know, just we just being honest with each other and, and and trying to help each other. You know, be the best that we can be. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's let's get into some defensive line stuff and, and talk stopping the run. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna start by t- by by talking the run today, and then we're gonna get into pass rush, which is fitting because you know, as D line coaches, we all we all like to say you got to earn the right to rush the passer. We're gonna earn the right to talk pass rush towards the back end of our <laughs> conversation today, and and stop the run first. So here we go. Uh, Coach, talk to us just about your philosophy for defending the run, you know, with your defensive front. So, you know, I believe that you build a uh, a football player, but especially a, a defense alignment from the from the ground up. And so, you know, everything starts with stance. You know, uh, with us, we're a three down front, and so we are tasked with controlling uh, essentially three primary gaps, and then we're also responsible for a secondary gap, and so. I want to teach our guys from a stance perspective to uh, to have a very uh, small stagger, um, you know, heel toe, uh, heel to instep, and we want to put our hand down, you know, based off of what we're seeing tendency wise. Um, you know, I I learned a lot of my defensive line coaching, you know, stuff from uh, from Ed Orgeron. Um, you know, back when he was coaching defensive line at the University of Southern California and uh, a couple of different places. And so he's a hips, hands, and feet guy, which is the same thought process that I subscribe to as well. And so the first thing that we want to enact when we come out of our stance and attack an offensive lineman or our hips, then we want to bring our hands and then we want to bring our feet. The, the reason why you want to be a, you know, you want to uncoil through your hips and then roll those and then shoot those hands is because that's where your power comes from. You know, it doesn't really matter how much you bench press. If you can't uncoil through the lower half of your body, you're not going to be able to strike another man and, um, and, and get in control of them. So, you know, I would say one difference that we have in terms of where, what we do with our hands is we try to strike the steering wheel with the armpit. Um, you know, some people are, hand to the V of the neck, you know, and the near armpit. Well, I just feel like that way you can get steered out if a guy gets his hand on your through your inside peck. And so 
Um, like I said, we we tried to uh, shoot our hands through through the uh, through the armpits. We call that steering wheel. And so, primary gap is is secondary gap. I want to play with my hands and my eyes through my primary gap um, while I'm keeping square shoulders, um, and then while I'm while I'm seeing what's going on with the ball, and then if the ball were to hit in my secondary gap, then I'm going to shrug off violently and uh, and play through that uh, play through that secondary gap. Um, I believe in knockback. You know, I think that it's critical to get knocked back on offensive linemen. I think that's how you defeat combination blocks, you know, double-team blocks. I think that's how you defeat that is you defeat the postman. If you get those guys on different levels, they can't combo you. They can't move you laterally, and they definitely can't move you uh, vertically. Um, I believe in two different disengages, but just two. We work a, a true rip, and we try to uh, – we try to over-exaggerate that rip. We want to bring that rip all the way through our earlobe. Um, because if you leave that backside arm, you know, to just dangle there, it's going to get held and it's not going to get called. Um, and then we go with the arm over disengage as well. And so uh, those are the two disengages that we work. Um, and that's the only two that we work. You know, we don't really get into much else just because I don't know if you can master it if you try to go to a bunch of different things. Um, you know, I think feet are critical, you know, being able to play with hot feet, um, not, not allowing your feet to just get stuck in the ground. We talk about getting a second step in the ground, um, you know, and, and not taking too elongated steps when we're, when we're stopping, when we're trying to stop the run, um, you know, getting that first step in the ground and then getting that second step in the ground and having a good power base where you're not too wide and you're not too narrow where you can play vertically, laterally, and then if you have to redirect, you, you can do that as well with a good power base. So I know I just rambled on there, man. Tell me when you want me to stop. Tell me when you want me to take a break. Well, a let, me, let me ask you this while we're, while we're talking about it. So uh, you talked about your guys playing primary gap, and they have a secondary gap. Um, and, and so I guess, you know, being also a, a, a three-down front guy, um, when is it okay for those guys to vacate their primary gap and play in their secondary gap? Like, is there something you're telling them, you know, that they're looking for specifically when it's okay for them to play into their secondary gap? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So let's just, let's just visualize the, the power play, right? Yep. And so um, I've got my four technique who is getting blocked down on by the offensive tackle. Yep. And so he, playing through that B gap. He's got vision through that B gap because the guard is trying to combo up, you know, off of the nose guard up to the backside backer. Well, I've got my eyes in that B gap and I see the guard pulling around. And so if the guard is going to pull all the way around now into the C gap, I am going to wait until the ball carry declares. And so one term we use is don't go until you know. And so if that back, Still has his shoulders square downhill. I'm going to stay and play in my B gap with square shoulders. I'm going to get knocked back on that tackle so that the guard has got to bubble around even more. If the back jump cut out into the C D gap area, that's when I can play my secondary gap. That's when I can, you know, two gap. We call that two gap and back across the t- the tackle's face. And then going and playing in the C gap and trying to uh, get another hat, whatever adding it, right? I want to take away that gap 
that they're trying to add by pulling that guard around on the power play. Okay. So then talk about, walk us through how you're, you're coaching that escape. I know you talked about a rip or an arm over. So, uh, you know, I'm, pl- I'm your four-tech, and I'm getting blocked down on by that tackle. I got him locked out. I'm playing with my eyes and my body in and, and that B-gap. Okay, running back is now jump cut in a C-gap. So now what are the steps? What am I walking through, or what am I doing to, to, to get in a C-gap now? Absolutely. So I want, to, I want to load up on my inside leg. Once I realize that I'm getting a down block from the offensive tackle, I want to have uh, my power on my inside leg, and I want to bar him with my outside arm. I don't want him. To, I don't want to have a short outside arm because if I have a short outside arm, he's just going to wash me down because ultimately he's probably going to weigh more than me, right? And so he's going to turn his shoulders and and, and and wash me down. And so I'm barring him with my outside shoulder. Once again, once I see that ball carrier jump cut out, I want to use that leverage that I have with that locked out outside arm, snatch it down violently, and then I'm going to go arm over in that situation with my inside arm, okay, stick my ice pick, okay, in his backside, and then I'm ready to stay square through the C gap. If I were to give ground or if I were to corkscrew my body, now I'm not going to be square to make a physical tackle. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So there's, so I'm staying square the whole time. When I, as, I, if I, as I snatch his body down, I come over, ice pick with my elbow and his kidney back there. Uh, I'm staying square to the line. My shoulder pads are staying square to the line of scrimmage the whole time. Is that correct? Ideally, yes, sir. Okay. Ideally. And, you know, that takes work. That takes a guy with some individual strength, you know, to be able to uh, hunker down in that B-gap on a down block and then, you know, be able to snatch that guy. But if you can get his chest over his knees as he's trying to down block on you, then you can snatch him down and just use his momentum against him and then, you know, two gap back across. But I want to really – I really want to arm over in that situation. If I throw my rip to try to get across, he's going to clamp down on that inside arm, and I'm not going to be able to get free. Yeah. Yeah, I like the arm over for sure. I just, I, 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 for the same reasons you mentioned, I think sometimes, I think a big thing too is sometimes guys, a lot of times guys, like you said earlier, they don't bring their rip to their earlobe or like we say, they don't punch the sky uh, with their with their rip and it just kind of dies there, you know, about, you know, goes back to maybe their chin or whatever and then they don't fully get the, the, get the offensive lineman's hands off of them. So this, just this technique right here, like just what we're talking about, is that something that you'll rip? In practice, like in your individual, maybe from a fit position, like I'm already going to be fitted up where the tackle's down on my outside shoulder and, and we're going to rep that, just me snatching him and getting off. Is that something that y'all will rep in practice? Yes, sir, absolutely. That'll, that'll be an everyday uh, drill that will work, especially once we get into the season um, because we're going to see gap schemes, you know, um, and so that's, that's something that will work, uh, you know, every single day. We'll work it through our sled work. Um, well, I'll implement a drill that, that you know, the, at the best kind of simulate that down block and then being able to two-gap out, and then we'll work it, you know, when we go against each other and inside, or, you know, maybe we can get the scout team O-line to come down during uh, individual and work those drills and, and blocks for us. Uh, let me give you another example of, of when you would potentially use the, um, the two-gap. So let's say... They're running inside zone, and I'm the four technique to the side of the back. Okay. 
Okay. So that tackle is trying to cut me out of the B gap, right? right? He's trying to cut me out. Okay. So the back is, you know, let's say the back is, is, has got the ball and he's pressing it to the, to the center's backside, but he doesn't see anybody immediately right now in the C gap. And so as I'm playing through the B gap and I'm, and I'm square and I'm shuffling with my feet, trying to stay square and keep my eyes in the B gap. So he can't just hit that thing downhill. Once he declares and jump cuts all the way back out to the C gap. Now that's the time for me to, again, snatch that guy with the outside arm. Okay. Bring that outside arm down, bring that inside arm, arm over and play through the C gap. Yeah. Yeah. And I think again, once again, it's, it's, as you mentioned, it's so you know critical for those guys to keep their shoulder pads square because as soon as I get them turned, now we allow that running back to cut back again, right? But if we can stay square, track that inside hip, now we can you know press him to the sideline and get him running uh, east and west. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned working that in 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 your practice and your individual. What are some of your other favorite just everyday drills that you that you work when when just talking specifically about you know defending the run? Every single day, we'll try to start off with some type of agility, whether it's bags, something along those lines. We'll always try to start off with an agility. The next thing that we'll do is we'll get under our chute, you know, and we'll work our what we call our short stick movements and our long stick movements. Whenever we're working those stunts and games, we'll work those things underneath the chute. Um, next thing we'll progress to is a sled, and uh, the sled is an everyday. Uh, thing for us, we, we don't go a day without uh, without hitting a sled. And so, just one thing that we do at Henderson that I think has been beneficial for us is we take the pads off the sled. Um, and so now it really it, it really enforces for our guys to really get those hands in tight, yeah. to really dig the elbows into the rib cage because that bar. That's inside the you know the sled that's inside the pad is way more narrow than what that pad is going to be. Yeah. Um. And so we, I just wrap a bunch of tape around it so that the guys don't really hurt their hands, but at the same time it calluses up their hands. And so you know my hands are going to be more calloused if I hit that raw steel or metal on, on that uh on, on that sled as opposed to what they would be if I'm hitting that pad every single day. And so we're going to spend five to 10 minutes on the sled every single day. Um, you know, just, uh, again, reinforcing the hips and the hands. We're going to take the feet away, you know, and work six point, um, explosion through the sled. We're going to work four point. We're going to work two point. We'll, we'll even do some three point stuff where we don't even take a step out of our stance where we just uncoil through our hips and our hands. Um, and then we'll incorporate the feet, trying to simulate some of the blocks that we'll see, um, you know, working on, you know, corkscrewing, the corkscrew technique that we'll see when we, you know, face combo blocks and, and, and working on some of our two-gap movements that we have to do. Um, and then once we transition from our sleds, then we get into our pod. And so what I do is I pod up my nose guards, they're all together. I pot up my tackles and then I pot up my ends. And so, you know, we'll have two or three or four guys at those positions and then they'll work 
the individual blocks that I know we're going to see for that week. And so for the nose guards, they may, they may be working, you know, the center goes back and the guard come, is coming back on. They may be working a back-back block. Well, the tackle in the end may be working a combination block or the down block that we just talked about, you know, or the cutoff block. So they don't necessarily have to be working the same thing. So right. I can just get myself in a position where I can see each rep and we don't all have to be doing the same thing. We can be doing things that are, you know, just more uh, applicable to what we're going to see that week. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I love pods. And I think that's a great way to get a bunch of reps. Uh, and like I said, you can stand in the middle of them and go, all right, you guys go and then you guys go and you guys go and they can all work on things that they're going to see specifically to work on. Yeah, I want to go back to the uh, taking the pads off the sled. I think that's a great idea and something I hadn't thought of before. I got to imagine that you, but you, you got to make sure you keep that thing in the in the uh, in the shade during fall camp because I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, out there in that that Arkansas heat and humidity, those things can get pretty hot uh, sitting out in the sun. And I'm sure your guys wouldn't be big fans of striking that thing then. But I, I would imagine too, it, you know, when you have the pads off, that that makes that thing, uh, you know, I guess. Uh, it gives more maybe to where it's easier for them to get their hips all the way through, you know, if that's something you're focusing on as well. Yeah, it actually makes it a little bit harder really? uh, to bring through. Yeah, so it, ours is ours is, is, is good and dated, you know, and it's, so it's, there's, a, there's a tad bit of rust on it, which is great. I love it. Yeah. Um, a lot of our freshmen, I'll tell you this, man, a lot of our freshmen get rejected, you know, the first time they try to hit that <laughs> thing because they uncoil through their hips, you know, yeah. and yeah. they hit it and they can't get it up, you know, and, uh, and and it's funny the first couple times when it happens and, and, and we try to be really patient with them. But then they realize that if I don't uncoil through my hip and then hit on the rise, now, I'm not going to get this pad up. And so our older guys, they get it. They understand it. They know how to do it. Before our young freshmen that come in and, you know, are starting to hit that thing, um, it, it's really it, it's really an eye-opening experience for them because they probably crushed the sled, you know, when they were in high school or, or whatever the case may be. But, uh, but they usually have some difficulty with it initially. But it definitely emphasizes the hip because, like I said, it's got a, just a tad bit of rust on it. And I've never – sprayed any WD-40 on uh, it purposely. Uh, 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 and so it, it doesn't give, uh, you know, it, it, it's not that uh, that smooth action, you know, it's going to, you got to uncoil. Yeah, yeah, that old rusty sled don't lie, man. It doesn't lie. No, it if, don't. if you ain't right, it's going to tell you. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about this. You know, you've already kind of mentioned or alluded to your, your your forte. Talk about your other techniques in your nose, and, and I'm assuming the other guy would be your defensive end. Just talk about those and how you're playing those guys and you know, some things that you work with those guys specifically? Our nose guard, you know, we play them in a straight head-up zero uh, for the most part. And, it, and we play with two fours, and then we play with a stand-up, you know, outside linebacker, uh, defensive end type of body type. And so I'll start off with the nose guard. You know, in a lot of ways, the nose guard has some similar uh, blocks that he sees to, the, to our four techniques. Um, he's going to see a combination block, you know, where the center tries to come off on him and, you know, knock that inside shoulder back so that that backside guard can overtake him, you know, through that backside A-gap. Um, but then he sees some things that are unique to him. You know, like I said, he's going to see the center vacate him and go block the backside four technique, and he's going to have a guard in his ear hole. 
Um, you know, he's going to, you know, just just see some different blocks like that that he's going to have to, uh, you know, be able to play. You know, for the nose guard, we try to keep it really simple for him. We say go vertical through the center and uh, and essentially play, you know, off of the zone. And so his main responsibility is just to destroy the center, get as much knockback as possible, and, uh, and and ensure that the center can't combo up when I place our linebacker and that the guard has to stay on him. Uh, now, obviously, as a defensive line coach, I want him to disengage and make as many plays as possible. But in the structure of our defense, if that guy really is, you know, taking up two people, occupying two people and not allowing the centers and the guards to, you know, to get up on the second level on our backers, then he's doing a really solid job as well. Um, with, with, with our stand-up outside linebacker, um, you know, we do a lot of different things with him. He's got to be uh, very versatile. There's going to be certain times where if they put a tight end into the boundary, he's going to have to come down and play a nine technique. You know, then there's going to be certain times where he's going to have two displaced receivers into the boundary, and he's going to have to get out there and apex and play, you know, from the curl to the flat. And so uh, as well as, you know, being able to rush the passer whenever we start bringing four um, and those types of things. And so one of the main things that, you know, that we – that we work on is playing that nine technique and being really physical on that tight end, constricting that C gap from the outside in while also being sturdy and, and disciplined through the D gap. Um, and then, you know, just coming up and having to take on blocks because, you know, not all, not all the time is he going to have a tight, a true hand down tight end, but he may have a backside fullback and guard wrapping around on counter, you know, that he's got to come yeah. up and sit up with his hands and then be able to, you know, constrict those gaps and then come off and make tackles. And so that guy's a versatile, got to be a versatile guy for us. He's got to be able to rush the passer. He's got to be able to drop. He's got to be able to be a physical player on the line of scrimmage. And so we work with his hands the same way we work with those other three guys' hands. If that, if that guy's got violent and physical hands, he'll, he'll be a good player for us. Well, Coach, I got good news for you. We uh... We stuffed the offense on first and second down, so it's third and long, which means we can talk pass rush now. So let's uh, okay. let, let's jump into pass rush and just you know everyone kind of has their own way of coaching pass rush, and there are a million ways to do it. And you know, um, uh, but you know, there's not necessarily one way that's better than the other one. You know, just like like most things, you find the the the, the system that works best for you, works best for your kids. How are you coaching pass rush, and you know, have you developed and modified this approach over the years? I tell you what, man, I, I really have kind of changed my thought process over the years. You know, I used to just be, you know, run, run, run stuff, and then we'll get to the pass rush stuff when, you know, when we can. And, 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 and you know, as football has changed, you know, that's just not – I don't believe that's the best philosophy. You know, teams are ultimately, you know, unless you're playing your alma mater, you know, teams are ultimately going to throw the football more than they're going to run the football. And so you've got to work the pass rush um, every single day. Um, you've got to be able to give your kids a toolbox of a pass rush move um, that you feel as though that they can execute and that can become muscle memory. Um, 
I truly think that muscle memory and attacking and reacting based off of the individual block that I see from my guard or tackle or center um, is, is the best way to, uh, to teach pass blocking. You know, it, it, Bruce Lee said, you know, I don't fear the man that practiced, you know, 10,000 kicks one time. I fear the man that practiced one kick 10,000 times. Right. And so I believe that we have that. You know, I believe in giving our guys a toolbox of three to four primary moves and then two to three counter moves and then working them over and over and over again and to the point where, like I said, they become muscle memory. Um, and so, um, you know, we, we, talk, we talk a lot about flipping our hips when we get into our pass rush. That's something that we work every single day. It's just flipping our hips, even if it's on air. And so if you can imagine this, Coach, we'll, we'll stand with a stagger. We'll put an agile bag in between our legs. And then we will flip our hip where I bring my inside leg over the agile bag. And then as I'm bringing that, that leg over the agile bag, I'm going to finish with both of my toes pointed inside. Yep. And so we just that where we, you know, you may be working, you know, a club arm over with your arms or, you know, a, a chop dip rip with your arms. Um, on air, you don't necessarily have to do it with someone, but we just work flipping our hips as much as possible. I believe in hoops. Um, I think hoops are important for, you know, teaching guys to run on the edge of their feet. Um, I think it's important for, for guys to understand at what point I have to have my toes pointed towards the quarterback. We talk about, hey, man, if you don't have your toes pointed towards the quarterback, by the time you get to the third step, you're not going to get there. Hoops reinforce that, um, and so I, I believe in some of those kind of corporate drills. And then, like I said, we're going to use the pop-ups. We're going to use, you know, those other things. But So we may teach the same drill, but we may do it in a, in a couple different introductions so that you, you're understanding when to use it or how to use it. Well, yeah, and I want to ask you about this because this, again, hits home with me because we play, we play four techniques, and coaching pass rush uh, from a four-technique perspective can be a challenge, right? Because oh, what does everyone always say about, you know, when, when you're rushing the passer, rush half a man? And sometimes that can be tough when you're, you know, a two-gapper or, you're, you know, th- th- that you have a primary-secondary gap as a four-technique and now it's a pass. So how are you coaching pass rush specifically with those four-technique guys? Is it are they power first and then work in a speed, or how does that work? That's a great question, Coach, and, and I second your opinion on that. It, that has been, um, you know, quite a challenge to, to teach that um, through the four because, like you said, you know, you want to rush a half a man. You want to get on a man's edge and, and defeat that outside arm, and, you know, all those different things. But what we teach is to go from speed to power. And so that's why in our four techniques, when we're teaching the run stuff, even though we're two gappers, we still take vertical steps. So the first day I've ever, I ever got with our guys, I said, Hey guys, we're going to stop the run on the way to the quarterback. Yeah. And so 
because we are taking vertical steps through our key read, once I get a high hat from that tackle, it's it's so much about the transition. I've got to be able to transition once I see high hat and get into a mode where, okay, now I'm in a pass rushing mode. So I'm taking my vertical step. Once that guy gives me high hat, I'm going to go from speed to power. And now I'm going to work through a straight-up bull rush where I am engaging in a bull rush through that tackle. Or if he's going to hard set me inside initially because, you know, maybe that's just their protection, then I am going to have the opportunity to work half a man. Um, And now I want to go with my club. I want to be potentially in more of a finesse thought process if I can really get to his edge, you know, more immediately than what I would if he just gave me a straight uh, vertical set. And so, like I said, bull rush, club arm over, um, you know, chop dip rip. uh, Those are some of the things that we talk about when we're rushing out of our four uh, techniques. Yeah, and, I, and again, we're, we're, we're kind of fighting the same fight there. And one of the things we talk about is, you know, kind of like what you're talking about. I mean, we have the same type of philosophy. We're going we're gonna, to uh, stop the run on the way, way to, you know, to the quarterback, get to the quarterback. And, and one of the things we talk about is when, when I come off the ball and I feel him set soft, like there's nothing in my hands. Because if it's a run block, like immediately there's going to be something in my hands, right? Like he's going to be, uh, his, I'm going to have my hands on his steering wheel immediately. All of a sudden now he soft sets. Now I start working to, a, to, you know, to an edge. Um, and so it, I think that the transition pass rush is something that's that typically is undercoached when it comes to defensive line. Like we we tend to sort of segment those things when you know a lot of most of the time we don't know that it's going to be a pass, right? So we have to be mm-hmm. good at working in. Oh, you know it's second and short, and and you know now they're they're they're, they're taking a shot. I got to be able to transition to a pass rush, and I think that's something that's uh, sometimes I know for me. I mean I'm talking about myself here. Uh, in the past has been, you know, uh, an area of coaching that I've really uh, neglected to, to to focus on when it comes to coaching pass rush. Yeah, I, I would second that, Coach. It's just, it's, I, I think sometimes maybe we just expect for them to know and feel it, you know, and then yeah. just kind of use the God-given abilities um, instead of really breaking it down and saying, hey, if I get outside eyes and hands from the guards, then I have to work outside into the C gap. But if I just get an outside hand from that guard and I got inside eyes into the A gap, well, now maybe I could potentially have a two-way goal where now I can work a hesitation move outside, come back in, you know, into the B gap and then work my way back up to the quarterback's upfield shoulder. I, you know, those are some of the things that we've started to work on, you know, being able to, he the tackle, but perif the guard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And, yep. and being able to um, being able to convert my pass rush uh, from that point to where now I'm not just robotically going outside, going outside, going outside. Now I can say, okay, hey, if you're going to truly slide the protection away from me and only stick that guard's outside hand in the B gap, but keep his eyes in the A gap, well, now I'm going to change it up and I'm going to come in the B gap, uh, even if we're just in a true base situation. Yeah, and that kind of brings me to my next question. You know, how are you guys breaking down, uh, you know, an opponent's passing or your pass protection, 
You know, do you have a system for that that you like to use? And then how much does that information play into your pass rush game plan for that week? Kind of like you said, hey, Vortech, uh, they're going to be sliding to you. So, uh, you know, you're probably not going to have a two-way go or they're going to be sliding away from you. So you will have a two-way go. I mean, how, you, how are you guys doing that? And then, then what role does that play in your uh, planning out your pass rush plan? Yeah, we, we have a plan for that. That's something that I break down um, every week, you know, when we're playing an opponent, you know, uh, what they're doing based, you know, a lot of teams are based off the back with their protection, you know. Um, are they going to slide opposite of the back? Are they going to scan the back through the backside B gap? Are they going to truly slide protection? You know, what down the distances are they doing that, you know, Um who are they trying to protect? You know, are they always sliding this way because there's a guard, you know, that they're trying to protect, you know, because he, you know, he may not be the best pass uh, blocker. And so we, we break down those things. Um, you know, we build a lot of our, I would say our third down and long package based off of the protections that, that our opponent uh, gets into. And so, um, that's something that's really critical with our breakdown. Um, you know, the pass rush games and stunts, stunts that we use, we're going to try to break down the protection so that we can get into one-on-ones. Um, you know, I, our guys, you know, they look at me, they're like, Coach, man, I thought I was supposed to come free on that. No, you're not supposed to come free. We're supposed to get you into a one-on-one so you can win. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I think that once our guys have kind of gotten to that mind frame where, hey, yeah, you may come free once every now and again, you know, on a bus, or maybe the guard came off too slow and when you moved, you know, maybe you came free. But don't expect that. Expect to get into a one-on-one situation, you know, and, and, and to be able to win. And so um, that's something that's important to us is to try to put our guys in as many one-on-ones as possible, especially in those third and medium to third and long situations. Man, that is a great point. And I don't think there's anything more maddening than you know, having the perfect line movement drawn up or whatever for that, that opponent's protection. And, and, you know, you run it, maybe it's like a, um, a long stick by your end or something, and the guard's sitting there on an island, and, you know, he's got, he's got you know, the B gap is open and the A gap's open, and what's that kid do? He runs right through the middle of that guard. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's like, man, dude, I mean, what else do you want us to do? I mean, besides just, just giving you the sack on a platter, you got to make a move on that guy and be expecting him to be there you know, now it's just up to you to make a move on that one guy. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. Absolutely. That is uh, that that's disappointing now, you know. But I think one thing that we started to do, Coach, and, you know, is we started grading our guys down when they didn't win their one-on-one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that held them accountable. And yeah. so, you know, a guy comes up on Sunday and he's like, well, Coach, man, why is my grade like this? Well, hey, we got you into about three or four one-on-ones, and you just ran down the middle of this guy. So that's negative. And so it's just not acceptable anymore to get into a one-on-one situation, whether it's just a true, you know, a tag. You know, it's a tackle, you know, and we're tagging him across the guard's face and the center slides away. You got to win that, you know, whether it's you beat him with speed or you beat him with power, but if you don't win that, well, I got to hold you accountable and I got to grade you down for that. And I think that's one of the ways that we, you know, we created some more accountability for winning your one-on-ones. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a great thing to do to, to kind of draw some attention to those, to those guys on that, because that is, 
you know that that's that and, and most of the time when those happen that's in crucial moments of the ball game you know third and long you know maybe a fourth down uh, you got to get a stop and so when those guys don't when, when those stunts or those things don't hit that can be really you know detrimental to the success of your defense so you know talking about you know speaking of pressures you know sacks are, are what get all the attention right like that's what everybody pays attention to but you know, as D-line coaches, we know that, you know, that's just a part of uh, affecting the quarterback. You know, uh, how else are you coaching up, you know, other aspects of getting after the quarterback, whether it be, you know, batted balls or strips or hurries or just getting a quarterback to move off his spot? How else are you coaching those things up? Yeah. So, Coach, anytime we, we work on our stunts or our games, as our guys come through, you know, through the A gap and through the B gap or looping around to the C gap, once they get a certain yardage past the, you know, through the line of scrimmage into the backfield. Um, I'm, you know, I'm normally the quarterback. And so I make sure that they get to, to their pass rush lanes. And then I hold my arm up and they get their hands up. And so, you know, trying to just create muscle memory again, where, you know, I'm used to getting my hands up, trying to knock balls down. That's not something we did a very good job of last year as a defensive line in Henderson, and it's something we're trying to, uh, you know, trying to create. It's a it's a, a culture that we're trying to create where you knock down balls. Sometimes that can be demoralizing, man. You got a guy wide open, you know, and it's a big-time situation. And just hearing that thump, you know, yeah. when a big defensive lineman thumps that ball back and it falls back behind the quarterback or, whatever the case may be, man, you know, sometimes the the crowd cheers for those louder than they do when a DB gets a PBU, you That's know right. what I mean? It's just That's right. something about that double thump, you know, uh, when a defensive lineman knocks a ball down and it can, that can really create um, – you know, momentum. And that's something we've got to get better at now. We're practicing right now and we're still not doing a good enough job of it, but it's not muscle memory yet. You know what I mean? And so we're just trying to continue to improve on that. You know, the the, the NFL a couple years ago did a study where they studied every single time the quarterback moved off his spot as opposed to staying in the pocket what the completion percentage was. And the study showed that quarterbacks completion percentage went down 18 points when they just had to move off the spot when they just had to go a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left their completion percentages went down and so you know that's something that we talk about hey i want you to get the sacks i want you to get interviewed you know in in the paper and, and say that coach jackson taught me that move but in in reality and i'm kidding there but you know, I, we have to move the quarterback off the spot. We have to make him uncomfortable. And so um, that's something that we emphasize as well as we put together our stunts and our games is to, uh, is, is to affect the quarterback in a negative way. Yeah, you know, going back to what you were talking about with, uh, with the batted balls, it's kind of like, you know, just a, you know, I think equivalent to when, when, when a shot gets blocked in basketball, right? I mean, you know, the, the kid thinks he's got a wide open shot. And then out of nowhere, someone you know comes and packs his stuff, and I think it's the same with the defensive lineman because it's unexpected, right? And then just you're mm-hmm. right, it is pretty demoralizing uh, because you know if you've ever been on the side where your quarterback's ball just got batted down, you're like, well, crap, you know, uh, what are we going to do now? And 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 then it's it is a pretty uh, momentum swinging play just doing that. Well, you mentioned that you guys are working on some stuff right now. You're having kind of a a spring ball sets of practices here in the fall. Uh, you guys are currently not playing there. 
uh, in the GAC. So just give us an update on what things are you know, looking like for y'all right now as we uh, kind of just navigate through this coronavirus stuff. Yeah, you know what, man? Our guys, our players have been upbeat and energetic and enthusiastic about, you know, going out there and practicing and, you know, knowing that there's no football, you know, that they're practicing for at the end of the week, you know, there's no game. But our, our guys have had really good attitudes. They they lift, you know, multiple times a week, and we have meetings, and, you know, obviously they're going to school. And so they still got a pretty heavy workload, um, but they've been – by and large, really, uh, really positive and, and energetic and upbeat. Um, you know, I got a young group um, right now. I got uh, two guys that played last year that are pretty solid players for us, and everybody else is brand new. Um, and so it's been just very uh, it, it, it's been a lot of fun to really dig back into those techniques and those fundamentals that you have to, you know, teach uh, young guys because playing in the B gap is not something that a lot of high schools, you know, do. A lot of times we're, we're, we're recruiting five techniques and we're saying, hey, we're going to put you in the cafeteria, we're going to put you in the weight room, and then you're going to become a four technique. Um, and, and, and so we got a bunch of young guys that haven't been in the weight room or the cafeteria long enough yet. And so, you know, we're just trying to get them to that point where they can really be sturdy in those B gaps, you know, learn that pass rushing, uh, repertoire. And so it's been a lot of fun, um, you know, to, to really dig back into the techniques and the fundamentals with a bunch of young guys, a ton of young guys. Yeah, that is fun. Kind of, uh, you know, sort of hitting the reset button and really going back and, uh, coaching, you know, kind of the just just the fundamentals and getting back into you know it really sharpens you up as a coach. Kind of have to go back and you know some stuff that you took for granted coaching older guys. You know, you got to really mm-hmm. go back and 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 be on your p's and q's about actually teaching things and and not assuming that people already know something. Absolutely, coach. Absolutely, it's, and you know I, I find myself saying, "Hey, guys, I didn't talk about this enough, or I didn't emphasize this enough." You know, I find myself saying that to our guys, just because as I watch them on film and I see, you know, a footwork or a hand placement or a pad level, you know, something that we have to correct. I'm like, well, did you really emphasize that in practice? You know, that's why you're getting that is because. That wasn't something that you harped on enough. And so, um, you know, I, I, I found myself doing that. And, and so it's been a really good check for me to, to really, you know, get back to my, uh, my coaching progression. Yeah, Coach, absolutely, absolutely. Well, all right, we're going to close out today with our rapid-fire segment. I'm going to shoot you uh, a couple sets of words here, and you're going to pick your preference. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get that going. What do you think, Coach? you think you can handle that? Yeah, I think so. All right, I have no doubt, no doubt in you. All right, here we go, Coach. So we know you guys are a three-down front. However, uh, if if you could pick, would you would you play a head up or shade nose? Head up, head up all the way. So and I always, this is always my follow-up question for that. And I know you guys doesn't sound like you guys do this, but lag or no lag on the on the head up nose? Lag. Okay. All right. Uh, w- going back to when you were a defensive coordinator. Uh, and maybe y'all, maybe y'all have, have, have a system set up now at Henderson State, but how do you prefer to call in the defense? Signals, hand signals, or armbands? 
Hand signals. Okay. <laughs> signals for sure. Okay. All right. Now, yeah. are you the hand signal? Are you the signaler? I have been. I have been the signaler uh, when when I was the coordinator. I'm not anymore. I'm up in the box now, but uh, I, I have been. It, it, a long time ago, we did the, the armbands, and you know, it just it, we we found them a little more more efficient way for us. Yeah. Yeah. To do it. Yeah, I've done both, and, and we, we do hand signals, and I signal in now. And, and just depending on the, the week and the game plan, sometimes, you know, I feel like I'm one of those band directors or something, you know, standing up on the pet, you know, at halftime uh, with all the signals that we're trying to put, you know, that we're trying to, we're trying to signal in. But anyway, okay, well, this, this leads me to my next, uh, next sets of words here, so preferences. You said you're in the press box now. Which do you prefer as a coach? Would you rather be in the press box on game day or the sideline? I'm going to do the press box probably from here on out. I can keep the emotions out of it and can make some, you know, some some decisions that, that aren't emotionally charged. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you have a GA on the headset with you that you can say, hey, you know, tell so-and-so that, you know, he needs to quit jumping out of his B-gap or something like that? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm glad he doesn't say exactly what I say. He, he says it in a... In a more conducive tone, yeah. but yeah, yeah, for sure. I've I've been there, especially when I, you know, a young coach. You know, you're on the headset with a maybe an older, uh, older coach, and he says, "You tell that," and he you know goes into a string of things, and then, <laughs> you know you kind of have to clean it up before you go and tell the kid, you know, like, "Hey, hey, coach said to make sure that play in your gap this time, okay." And it, you know yeah. you got you kind of have to clean it up for the kid a little bit. So all right, I got you. Okay, uh, pregame routine for you, coach: music or no music? Music, um, not necessarily headphones, but you know, if I if we're at home game, I can sit in the office. I'll listen to some music. Uh, if we're on the road, eh, I can do either. I can do with or without it. Okay, uh, what's on the uh, coach Jackson game day playlist? Uh, uh, Man, some some gospel, man. Some I got you. Uh, some Diedrich Haddon, some uh, Tasha Cobb, uh, yeah, some Tamala Man, all all that good stuff. Okay, so we had, we had Coach uh, Justin Robinson on from Hanover College, uh, D three school up there in in Indiana, and he's a, he's a gospel on game day guy. So y'all need to get together, mm-hmm. and maybe exchange some some playlists. Uh, okay. So let's talk about when you go on the road. Okay. You go on the road to a, uh, you're on the road stadium. Are you a walk the field guy? Are you a stay inside? What's your, what's your routine there? What are you doing there? Uh, that's an awesome question, coach. Uh, I like to walk it as soon as we get there. Um, you know, check out the lay of the land and then I'll, uh, I'll actually just find, I'll mosey up to the press box, man, and just kind of sit up there in a little bit of solitude and, Make sure I got my rotations down, and you know, make sure I feel really good about the game plan, and just kind of sit up there until it's time for guys to start rolling out for warm up. All right, I got you. Okay, when you're drawing scout cards for the week, okay, do you prefer <laughs> to do those by hand, or are you doing them on the computer? Which one do you prefer? You got to do it by hand, coach. You got to. <laughs> you got to have your different. Uh, you got to have different color markers for the guards that are pulling. Yeah, you got you got to do it by hand, Coach. And and, and we draw our cards by hand here, um, so I, I hear you. However, as I've told our defense coordinator here, I said, "Hey, man, you know, there's like 
there's there's templates and stuff that do all this for you now where you just move guys around and print it off and he's like no i gotta draw it i gotta see it i'm like you know all right man that's fine i got you i'll draw it um so we're up there early 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 monday morning uh you know uh drawing drawing cards uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I do, I do get where, where the hand hand drawn cards guys are coming from, um, and, and I do actually kind of like drawing cards because you know, like I know exactly how it's supposed to be blocked and how they're going to block it. And so when a scout team kid screws it up, I can say, "No, dude, I drew the card." Okay, I know what it's supposed to look like, and so I, I think it does help us as D line coaches to do that. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, let's talk about this. Um, all right, here's the scenario. Okay, it's third and long. In the fourth quarter, if the offense converts, they have a chance to go on and win. If you guys get a stop, the game's over. So uh, what are you doing here? You're putting your D.C. hat back on. Uh, are you sending pressure or are you dropping back into coverage? What are you doing? Ooh. Coach, I think, uh, I, I think that I'm going to show that I'm going to bring pressure, but then I'm going to twist it up and, uh, and try to clog up those, uh, those throwing lanes. That, that's you. what I think. I, yeah. Okay, so maybe try to get the quarterback throw hot. Maybe hit him with a little tech stunt to eat up some of those gaps so he can't tuck it and run, something like that. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Now th- this this might be the most important question or uh, uh, question of the of the interview right here. Okay, so you're a South Carolina uh-huh. guy, but now you live in the South in Arkansas. You're close, relatively close to Memphis. So here's the question: What's better, Carolina barbecue? Arkansas barbecue. We can throw in Memphis barbecue there because that's you know heavily influenced. So which one you got? Oh man, coach, don't don't let me. Get, I, I still need to recruit some of these Arkansas kids, coach. Don't don't put me in the spot. <laughs> but, uh, no, you know what? I've enjoyed some of the best barbecue that I've ever had here in Arkansas. Uh, got some really good friends that cook some good barbecue. Uh, have found some good spots, so I'm going to have to say uh, Arkansas barbecue. I hope I don't get disowned by that, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Arkansas. Well, hey, you, uh, you know, you save face in your neck of the woods. You just may not be able to go home <laughs> for a while. Uh, yeah. So, but I, I do dig the uh, the the Carolina barbecue sauce. It's I wouldn't say it's something that you know I would get down with all the time, but I think it's great as a change up for sure. That you know, that kind of that vinegary, uh, light colored sauce there, but. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I would agree though. Uh, from living in Arkansas for a while, and and in Mississippi, and just being in that that neck of the woods, that uh, some great barbecue there. Uh, you know, a lot of pork. And, you know, we're, we're more uh, more all about the beef down here in Texas. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I would agree. There's some great barbecue spots up there in Arkansas. Well, Coach, great stuff today. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Had a lot of fun, and I filled up a, a, a notebook of notes. And I know that the guys listening to this are going to be glad that they listened. So thank you for coming on and joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Ty. Uh, just really appreciate the work you're doing, man. Uh, you know, bringing uh, focus to the defensive line and, and, and not just the sacks. You know, you're really getting into the uh, the nuts and bolts of it. And uh, just really appreciate what you're doing, man. You're doing a, you're doing a heck of a job. And uh, just keep it up, brother. Great stuff today from Coach Jackson. Really appreciate what he had to say there at the end. I, I just love getting feedback from you guys, and I'm glad that this podcast is helping helping you guys out. That's definitely the goal. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Coach Jackson, you can hit him up on Twitter. So give him a follow at CoachJackson16. Let him know you heard him here on KYPD. Now, I, I love what Coach had to say about taking the, the pads 
uh, off of their sled. You know, that's whenever we play a road game, I always uh, like walking around the stadium before the game and just kind of looking at you know at our opponents, you know, equipment, their sleds, shoots, and you know, pop ups, just things that they have and things that they're using. Just kind of get some ideas of things that we might want, or just you know, just out of curiosity. You know, I've been to places where they have their sleds without the pads on them, and I just always assume that they did that because. You know, they weren't using them, and so they just took them off for, you know, to keep them out of the weather or whatever. But, uh, you know, maybe they were using them like uh, using their sled like Coach Jackson and those guys at Henderson State use it without the pads, which, as he said, really forces your guys to shoot their hips, uncoil their hips, and, and makes them keep their hands in tight. So that's an interesting way to use your sled for sure. You know, which leads me to a question that I want to ask you guys, our listeners, and I will post this on Twitter later this week. So if you see that, respond and retweet. But as a D-line coach... What is your favorite piece of equipment to use in practice with your guys? I know what mine is, but I want to hear what yours is. So look for that question to post uh, probably Tuesday night. So respond with that, uh, with, with your favorite piece of equipment, and I'll read some of those off on next week's episode. Anyway, big shout out once again to Coach Jackson. I uh, really enjoyed talking with him today and appreciated what he had to say. Our quote of the day provided to us by Coach Jackson is this. Culture is not built by what you proclaim. It's built by what you practice, promote, and permit. And that's a wrap for episode number 81. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we talk with a former professional defensive lineman who is now making it his mission to share what he knows about playing the position with others. So looking forward to that one. That will be a great episode. So subscribe now and join us back next Monday for episode 82. Until then. Have a great week. Take advantage of your time this week. And if you are blessed to be coaching football, enjoy every moment and never take it for granted. And of course, most importantly, Coach Jackson, tell them what else they better do. Keep your pads down.